Hello and welcome to the FD Advisor podcast. Over the past few years, the world of discretionary fund managing has grown and grown. As the number and complexity of funds increase, DFMs have become a popular tool for IFAs, helping them to find efficient ways of making the right investment decisions for their clients. But how can advisors make sure they're entrusting the right people with their clients' money? And what impact will the growth in DFMs have on advisors? I'm Sally Hickey, Chief Reporter, FT Advisor, and with us this week are Henry Cobb, Head of Research at Elston Consulting, and Matt Ward, Communications Director at AKG. Hi both, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sally. Great to be here. Hi, Sally. Thank you. So, first of all, Henry, to come to you, can you outline uh, overall what the advantages are for IFAs in having a DFM, uh, and also what the disadvantages are, if there are any? Okay, I think that's a very sensible starting point. Um, I think the advantages in um, our view for having a DFM are more operational than investment related. So um, the the three main advantages from an operational perspective are being able to change clients' portfolios at the same time without clients' consent. So you're not having to run forwards and backwards getting signatures and approvals and recommendation letters signed. so that's sort of the first thing. The second aspect is the ability to make um, uh, asset allocation adjustments, again, at the same time for all clients. So they're getting a consistent and uh, fair and um, internally consistent client journey in terms of performance. And and lastly, it's the ability to run um, strategies on the same basis. So if there is a, a change in um a fund recommendation that's made um, again at the same time for all clients. So it's more about operational perspectives, from my view, than from investment perspectives. And I think that's the those are the clear advantages. Sure. Um, d- disadvantages are, um, you know, I think there's a bit of a tussle going on between, uh, you know, whose client is it anyway. Um, and I think the, the kind of reticence that some advisors rightly uh, feel when working with uh, discretion managers is that they're kind of almost um, sort of losing losing the client to that manager. And um, I think ways around that are going to be an important way to think things through. Sure. So, what, I mean, what would be the ways around that? Have you seen anything in the industry that, that works particularly well? Yeah, I think, well, the first up, I'm running advisory models on an advisory basis can work if you do it well. So we've seen some firms that have got very good systems in place for uh, getting client letters back. Uh, some within two days, they can get the client based um, with a recommendation change implemented. So if they've got the operational and technology systems in place to make switches, um, then that can work. And they also have to have the... Um, product governance framework in place to make sure that any funds that they are recommending are have been properly tie-kicked. So, so if they can do it in-house, then it's possible to do it in-house. Um, but but yeah, if, if they need help, then obviously we do see a rise in what's called custom portfolio solutions, where managers work with advisors to build portfolios to order. Sure. And Matt, is this something, this tussle, is that something that you've seen in the industry? Definitely. Yeah, huge, huge competition at the minute. So um, we've been looking at DFMs for uh, six or seven years at AKG and I'd looked at DFMs in my previous role. So, you know, let's say that them as a concept in the intermediary sector is around 10 years old. Um, competition is is fierce um, and a huge diversity of um, types 
um, from you know large established wealth managers that have drifted towards the mainstream intermediary market. Uh, we're now seeing platforms launching their own uh, shade of MPS, having, I guess, watched very closely what's happening in terms of the assets on the platform. And as Henry alludes to, you know, it's obviously still an option for uh, advisors to do these things themselves. So I think it's, you know, one of the things is what what do financial planning businesses want to focus on? That's almost a step forward again, and many of them will have made this decision. But, you know, what do they want to do in-house what do they have the expertise for? What do they want to outsource? And, and I think that's the that's at the crux of it. Um, and as Henry said again, you know, some some people are retaining that um, with support, but many are starting to outsource. Um, and that outsourced environment is driving the excitement amongst DFMs, um, even some asset managers that are tweaking uh, multi-asset propositions to become MPS. So you know, it's it's certainly the place to be at the minute, and that's driving um, huge competition. So, Matt, to stay with you, why why is this competition happening now? What's what sort of what started it, and why is it happening at the moment? Well, I think opportunity, um, opportunity to uh, influence um, advisor AUM, uh, and obviously, you know, for businesses to, to you know to function from that. So, there's a you know a very valid business opportunity. I think you know we've seen the advent of um, a drive towards centralised investment propositions again over a number of years now, and that's forced advisor firms to say, "Okay, how are we going to go about this?" So there's that, you know, if they want the help, where are they going to go in the market to get that? So that's driving the excitement. Um, I think from a technical perspective, um, and some something we look at in our industry papers, I think pension freedoms has also had a big difference. Um, income drawdown has been by and large the proposition winner post freedoms. Annuities have obviously had a something of a, of a bloody nose and the sizzle in, in, in drawdown is the investment component so I think you know again asset managers and DFMs want to help advisors um, in that s- space and it's very difficult designing um, portfolios for drawdowns I think that that will also be a key part of the, the battleground. And Henry Matt mentioned the, the that new entrance to the market and given you know the, the big established players uh, currently you know Charles Daniel Brundolf and what can these new entrants offer um what kind of services can they offer and what's the benefit of being a newer uh, a DFM and, and conversely what's what's the benefit of being one of the larger players and and why are they all now consolidating Okay, there's two very separate questions, but first one, what new entrants can bring is agility. I think a lot of the uh, mainstream MPS providers um, who've been around the block forever, they are very much kind of um, almost offering like an MPS version of their private client proposition. Um, And is in a way quite samey if you look across the spectrum of the various traditional MPS providers. Um, you know, they're all using probably one of five asset location providers. Um, and they're all using, you know, either one of three different ratings, fund ratings buy lists, and they'll have their internal processes as well. But, you know, there isn't much between them, to be honest, except for uh, sort of fees and brand and, you know, even the holdings can be quite similar. So I think they're kind of that sameness is something that we've alluded to earlier. And I think where the new entrants are bringing some uh, potential agility is, um, as I mentioned, that ability to customize. And that's something that we've certainly see demand for and get approached for. 
Um, that secondly is the technology angle, and some of the new entrants are making a, a big deal about their uh, the user interface and the advisor journey and how they actually do the integrating the investment solution to the client journey, and that's really really important. Uh, and lastly, I think it's just you know you could call it technology, but it, well, second aspect of technology is the 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 the, the fund solution. So actually, um, rather than you know if you think traditional DFMs used to be kind of thirty basis points plus VAT plus a portfolio of active funds with 80 basis points cost. It was a very expensive proposition on top of platforms. Whereas in new entrants, there's a more critical eye about um, how portfolios are constructed and maybe using a blend of active and index solutions, maybe all index. Um, and there's a more um, leaning towards embracing uh, innovation. So I think I think the kind of um, the old school DFMs or MPS providers, there's a kind of sameness that is quite sort of, you know, disappointing if you like there's also that risk that you're if for an advisor you're actually competing with their brand um you know the the big mps providers and those you mentioned they have massive financial planning operations uh they are competing for clients on facebook you get messages from firms that are dfm saying come and do your financial plan you're approaching retirement which i always find a bit upsetting because i always like to think myself as a bit younger than that um but I think that's that growing realization of, of again, whose client is this anyway? And uh, advisors are rightly um, skeptical about introducing into the mix a, a much larger, much uh, broad, more better capitalized firm that has got a huge marketing resource, national coverage, um, huge client acquisition ambitions. And actually, we've heard it discussed from some advisors when they saw one of the large uh, DFMs get acquired. Um, recently, they worked out that the value of their client bank to that DFM that got crystallized by the DFM and not by the advisor was over whatever, three million pounds of deal value um, for a mid-sized advisor firm. And they thought, well, hang on, why is the why is the DFM make dining out on our client bank? And we meanwhile are, are kind of uh, trying to make sure we, 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 we can't access our own growth capital. And I think that's a disconnect is creating a really interesting tension. And I think a lot of the demand that we're getting is from advisors who are looking to not outsource, but insource kind of a capability so that they can either run their portfolios more efficiently on an advisory basis, or they can get their own discretionary permissions and get some help to do it, um, or um, look at some kind of partnership model whereby um, uh, they commission some built-to-order portfolios. And, and we believe that's the way forward. That's an interesting dichotomy you you sort of attributed to the almost economy of scale of a larger DFM, meaning that fees could probably be lower. You know, they can cross you, you sort of research and all the, these resources across the big company, which on the, on the face of it sounds like a good thing. But it, it almost sounds like that's uh, putting advisors off that they're then, as you say, concerned that that company is too big. So it's almost like a Goldilocks problem. They want a it's, company. It's, it's not the, sni- the size. Yeah. The size is attractive. There's no problem with size. It's the fact that they're competing in the same territory. It's the fact those a lot of the larger MPS providers have massive financial planning arms. So they're actually competing for clients. So this is almost a disadvantage if a big financial planning firm is acquiring a DFM, as you say, they've then taken themselves into direct competition I'd with the so. people there with their clients. I'd say so. And Matt, to come to you, what? How would you advise an advisor to pick the right DFMs for them and their clients? 
Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I mean, we're into um, research and due diligence there. I mean, just what, one point on, on that other one. I mean, I think, you know, there's room in the market for for a range and, you know, and that's not that big is better. You know, there's room for more agile um, people. Uh, there's room for scalable people. But, you know, and we'll come on to it. You know, there will be consolidation just because of the sheer number of people competing in this space. I think in terms of research and due diligence, you know, they should look at some key pillars um, you know, the FCA is keen that advisors and power planners show the choices that have been made um, in their proposition. And I think, you know, they need to understand performance. They need to understand the investment manager's beliefs. Um, they should look at how the proposition stacks up. You know, these are all important factors, not overly dominant uh, above one another. And I guess from our perspective, you know, we encourage people to know the provider um, understand with with MPS. The relationship is a little bit more depersonalized. but advisors are hoping that they're engaging with these strategic partners for the long term in which case they should know you know how things stack up so you know they should know pricing they should know proposition they should know operational strength and resilience these are all things which will hopefully help them if they do a good job with them it's no longer good enough to just have you know i met these guys three years ago we get on well you know that may well be valid but it's not going to stack up from a um uh, you know a file and a process piece that says this is a decision that we got to and certainly as the market evolves um as we've alluded to you you should keep coming back to the table you know this is a market that is moving um again rather than big versus small you know you could say about later entrants you know later entrants have the benefit as henry said of watching what's been happening dipping in and focusing on the bits where there are potentially problems so clearly you know we need to all improve tech and digital engagement so those that are perhaps a bit more fleet of foot with that um however what is hard is getting placement on platforms because they're seen as the the holy grail distribution door for, for mps providers again of all sizes it's one thing getting on them the next thing is obviously trying to turn those asset flow taps on um, and so again, not just about big, but you know, you need traction. You need to be able to show the market you mean business, track record, all of these things. So it, you know, it's not it's not quite as straightforward. And many people have gone onto platforms thinking that they'd arrived, as it were, and found it actually quite yeah, hard to then exactly. get get assets on board. So there's there's a there's a hell of a lot going on in in this, and obviously competition forms part of that. But yeah, there's room there's room for a diverse market um, with different ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, on the on the due diligence points, that's absolutely right. What Matt's saying, and and having a robust due diligence process, evidencing in a firm's CIRP or um, why and how they've chosen a particular manager for their strategies is absolutely essential. One thing we would note is a bit like there's, you know, we don't think there's a obligation to you know, have multiple platforms. Um, there is no obligation to consider financial strength of platforms and AKG are probably the leading firm for producing those uh, evaluation reports. Matt, so there's your, uh, I'll plug that one there. Um, wow, equally, <laughs> well, we use them too. Um, there's equally an obligation, there's no obligation on on advisors having a cluster of different managers and having some clients in that dfm some clients in that and some clients in that it is actually the 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 most important thing is to think that the investment solution is suitable for the investment plan be it accumulation or decumulation or retirement whatever it might be and that doesn't mean um it's no longer this whole thing of like uh, let's um you know rotate between different mps providers that's not really what it's about it's about giving that client journey so i think i think that's that's one thing the, the compliance piece and one trend that we've seen that's quite interesting perhaps controversial is we've seen some uh, of the networks using that compliance angle basically as a 
as a um, lever or rationale for creating their own MPS solution and monetizing um, their status as network provider. And again, we've got nothing against that, but it's something that in terms of who are the gatekeepers for um, advisor decision-making um, in the network environment, we're seeing it saying, well, we've got our panel, plus we've got our own solution. And that way it's kind of almost making it the default um, because if you're if you're the owner of a network, it's a no-brainer for you to have your own MPS solution. And so I think the you alluded to the shelf space of trying to, you know, how do you get, once getting on, on platforms one thing, but getting flows is another. I think the, the challenge that um, both traditional and new MPS providers are going to have is that they're coming against stiff competition, not from each other, but from advisors launching their own DFM solutions and from networks launching their own DFM solutions and making those the compliant options that advisors must work with. So it comes down to, you know, proposition and and who who is in charge of the investment proposition and whether that's network based owner managed firm or um, you know uh, restricted. Yeah, you just answered my next question, which was going to be given how saturated it sounds the market is getting. You know, what what would be that that swings it? And it sounds like, as you say, the investment proposition is the most important thing for advisors to focus on to make sure they're getting getting a service that works for them and then i guess everything like tech and and kind of platform suitability falls underneath that but would you would you agree henry that that's the the investment yeah, position is the biggest absolutely thing? absolutely because without being so facetious you know putting together a multi-asset portfolio again you could put a cigarette paper between some of the traditional mps providers proposition they're, they're so sort of similar and overlapping and that's mainly because if you think although there might be 70 odd mps providers in the market um there's only so five mainstream asset allocation providers um, on, and now some some MPS providers do use their own allocation frameworks. A lot of them use these mainstream mainstream third party allocation providers. And I think what's happened this year is those have begun to come under scrutiny because they are a lot of them are uh, dependent on kind of long term, often historically based asset allocation frameworks like the classic 60-40 portfolio or variations on the theme of 20, 40, 60, 80, 100% equity. Um, and suddenly everyone's woken up thinking, I thought I had a diversified uh, multi-asset portfolio, but it turns out um, that my 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 bonds aren't protecting me and my, my equities got hammered. And, and suddenly those traditional allocation frameworks are coming under a huge amount of pressure. Um, not just in, in in the MPS market, but in the private client market and in the international market across the board. Um, just Google, you know, 60-40, uh, is 60-40 dead? You know, there's lots of articles about this. And I think what's uh, the other agility point where I think people are looking for fresh thinking is thinking, why are we using these models and how robust are they? And why haven't they managed to sort of withhold, withstand the stress test? What do we need to do? And how do we go about doing it? Now, that's why I think there's been a lot of questions being asked. And from my point of view, you know, for advisors looking for MPS provider, don't 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 tell us the name of the provider. Tell us the asset allocation framework and how that's being run, because that's going to determine client outcome, not the person who's driving it. And and that's kind of a kind of radical statement, but we think it's one that requires scrutiny. Yeah, Matt, is that something you've seen as well? And I'm wondering if you think over the next couple of months, as those traditional portfolios aren't doing as well as as in the past decade, do you think more and more the sort of the tide is going to come out and we're going to see who's been swimming without any trunks on, as it were? 
Yeah, I think two, two, two things here, Sally. I think, you know, MPS propositions, I, I'm not going to use the term new now because they're not new, but with so many people launching them, you had lots of them that were at one year, two year, three years. Um, there's no such obvious distance that you must test performance, but, you know, people see five years as a, you know, a nice start point and start to see that that's gained some traction. So you have this element of lots of new MPS with advisors not really being able to do such tight comparison as they might want to so i think again as that evolves we'll see then if you overlay that with what's going on at the minute and we won't dwell on it because there's so much but you know if we use pension freedoms as an example we're seven years in um four and a half to five of those the markets were relatively benign uh, as was the economy um and now we're seeing huge challenge so you know henry uses the term stress test well if you've been managing clients money in drawdown and they went into drawdown. They've been doing that in quite a nice environment to date. Now suddenly people are going to be tested, and you would hope if you've got your choices right and you've done your your due diligence tight enough that there'd be less surprises. However, you sense that again with that newness of proposition for some and others, we're going to have a period of test that says, okay, for what I'm paying here, um, how are these guys getting on? And I do think, um, without labouring the point too much, drawdown is a different beast. Um, I think lots of people have rebranded propositions as retirement ready, but I still think there's work to be done across the market from funds, portfolios and products to say, look, how do we help people plan and live in retirement and what do they need to do that? And so that that's going to continue to test not just on performance, but, um, you know, cons consumer outcomes. You know, the FCA are all over that with the, with the new work. The ultimate test is going to be, has this provider, has this DFM helped me? achieve a good client outcome for matt as my as my client and is that a price point i was happy with so there's there's lots of factors in there but i do think we're you know without scaremongering room for a period of people really being tested as you as you said so how do you think this will uh how do you think as a result of this the dfm market will uh, evolve in the next couple of years so de definite consolidation i mean i think we've started to see bits of it already i mean there's just so many names in there um that again not that big is better but you do get to a stage operationally as a business where you'd probably want a certain level of assets um and some people will need when some people will need to want and get bigger so that'll be like pac-man they'll want to gobble up um you know smaller dfms to become a bigger dfm that's a natural uh installment of any market um you've got that huge diversity of provider which adds to it so you know platforms have had let's say you know on average 15 20 dfms that they've granted access to now some of them are launching their own having watched very closely what's happening um which is which is an interesting dynamic as henry says you know advisors coming back to the market to say well actually i want this bit this bit and this bit who can help me do that you know it's not such an obvious outsource as perhaps it was before so you know huge competition I and mean, i think we're seeing I'm not really sure how low price can go, to be honest. Um, but again, that shows how competitive the market is. That will possibly level off a bit. And and we really should look at value as well. It shouldn't just be about who's cheapest. It should be who's delivering. So that VFM piece is, is interesting. But yeah, um, consolidation just because market forces will dictate that that happens. Um, but I still believe what you'd end up with is, uh, as we've alluded to, you know, actually quite a diverse space with different types of operator, not just all one type wins. Sure. And Henry, that same question to you. How how do you see the market evolving? So I think um I think I'd agree with consolidation. Um, but 
I think it's actually much more a function about consolidation in the advice sector. And what we're seeing a bit like the kind of networks offering uh, discretionary solutions are beginning to, we also see consolidators um, very sensibly and strategically, um, obviously building up their book of advisory assets and acquiring businesses. That's a well-covered theme. There's a huge amount of consolidation sector that's come in over the last few years. Um, we see those consolidators in the advice sector um, uh, acquiring businesses with DFM permissions or getting DFM permissions and rolling out their own MPS solution. So, so there may well be all the uh, consolidation within the MPS provider market, but we think the much bigger trend is going to be the consolidators in the advisory market launching their own um, MPS solutions because effectively it comes down to the, the key question of who has the client. And uh, whoever has the client controls the value chain. And we've seen it in, um, in many businesses, not least in the in the um, you know uh, in the high streets versus Amazon. Whoever has the client relationship, um, it's can, 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 they have the power to manufacture solutions, and that's the trend that we'll, we think is going to happen. I think on on Matt's point on about retirement solution, I think that's absolutely spot on as well. Um, we you know, Pensions Freedom of 2014, the guidance for drawdown in the non-advised market came out in 2021, all of seven years later, wasn't particularly helpful. Um, we have seen uh, attempts at different solutions out there in the market. Um, and we've written about that actually uh, for FT Advisor. <laughs> so there's some some good content out there as well on that, we like to think. But I think I think no one's cracked it. And so I think the well, but what's interesting is it coming back to the allocation providers because they are in a way the of for many firms they are the DNA of the portfolios that are being built. Um, you can actually distinguish differentiate between those that um, have very straightforward and simplistic allocation models that rely on long run risk return, which is fine for accumulation, um, or the ones that are slightly more uh, complex and more considered and in a way more appropriate where they consider time. Because if you don't consider term, you're not considering risk and risk either because risk is um, dependent on time horizon. And so um, we think when it comes to drawdown, that incorporation of a, a time horizon for asset, asset assumptions is critical. And as Matt said, we're in a, we're in a kind of a very tricky scenario market. So looking at scenario-based um, asset allocation models as opposed to linear uh, projections is also really important. So for us, that kind of narrows down the list of um, asset allocation providers that we think are really well placed to um, design uh, multi-asset solutions for the managers, be they um, traditional discretionary or new advisory or network or consolidator. It's those asset allocation frameworks that really need the critical review. And that's obviously something that uh, we help advisors with. And underlying all of this is the end client. Do you think all these changes aren't net positive? for for the end client yeah i think i think the what's in, really interesting in a way is um because of pensions freedoms um if you think about the olden days pre pre freedoms you know uh, advisors looked after clients in accumulation and insurers or trustees looked after them in decumulation so um you know advisors only looked after one and a half of the customer lifetime value um what's happened with pensions freedom is suddenly advisors have the opportunity to look after the entire customer lifetime value. We saw that in the US market from the mid-noughties when uh, the whole kind of annuities market dried up there and everyone went into kind of whole-of-life uh, multi-asset drawdown 
for their 401k plans. And so, so advisors in a way that, you know, should be very grateful to their then chancellor, who's effectively doubled the customer lifetime value of the entire book of business by giving the opportunity to give advice and drawdown. Now, the the, the 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 challenge is, as Matt alluded to, is running investment strategies and drawdown is, is a whole different ballgame because you're designing a portfolio to grow and designing one to shrink requires a totally different skill set. So I think um, I think that the uh, uh, the the opportunities there for advisors to take it, um, but it requires a, a little bit of engineering, a little bit of help around the edges. And Matt, have you got anything to add on that one? You're not yeah, away. Just, you know, huge, huge opportunity. As I said, we've, we've touched on it. I think, you know, for drawdown, you're right. You know, that relationship has stayed open now. Um, secure income solutions will still be relevant for some. And we mustn't forget that um, in the excitement of the investment sizzle. There's still a role for um, some some uh, some key deliverables, um, you know, for the necessities, certainly in the current environment. So, you know, we should probably come back to the table on that as well. But yeah, that's that's a role for financial planning firms. to. We keep talking about the great stuff we do as an industry that this should be the example that says here's been a great opportunity for you to show the value you add to a customer for matt's outcome in retirement has that been positive they've got all these tools to play with i guess the problem is sometimes um choice you know choice is good sometimes choice is a bit bewildering um, we haven't even touched on on, on esg today um which is obviously for, for you know for another session but you know understanding what customers want um developing i think consumer duty will continue to test are we developing solutions that we have proof of requirement from customers um and what's the test you know what's the test of that outcome yeah i was just going to add to that when you're on the whole that broadening opportunity there is i think there's one other aspect which we should consider which is um one big thing of the fca's asset management market study was almost trying to solve the the question of why is it that an accumulation investment solution in a workplace pension scheme can be delivered for uh, investment strategy underlying funds and investment administration for all in 75 basis points or less and yet, when we go into retail world, retail advisory world, the investment solution could be up to, you know, one and a half percent, even two percent, on top of the one percent advice fee. And so, I think the newest did a study of or two point eight one percent all-in cost for the average UK client in advisory solutions. So, the part of the asset management market study was about saying why is there this disconnect between investment solutions in in the institutional world and investment solutions in the retail world. So the kind of bigger trend that we see as part of this extension of that customer lifetime value from accumulation to decumulation is that almost that kind of um, focus on what we call the institutionalization of retail. So um, making sure the investment solutions can be as um, delivered in a similar um, price points, value for money perspective, as it is in workplace and and that's why it's very telling that and we all sort of you know uh, we're very telling that when you when although the regulator always says you know we're not a price regulator and they're not um it's focused on value for money etc but when we had the the retirement pathways guidance for drawdown um they said you know for non-advised providers should be should be mindful of workplace pension price cap of 75 basis points for the investment solution which is a bit like if uh you know um, I won't actually draw any analogies. I'll stop myself there. But, yeah, but yes, it's reading it's, between the lines. One, it's, it? it's, 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 useful, it's useful reading between the lines. And so yeah. when we're talking to advisor firms that are building out their own investment solutions for their client banks, we're also suggesting if they want to kind of, um, you know, uh, match the non-advised providers in drawdown and the institutional providers in drawdown, they could also be mindful 
of that 75 basis points all in investment solutions cost, um, excluding advice. So advice fees on top of that. But but so I think the real compression that we're seeing in the industry and hence the competition and hence the um, growth in technology providers, the use of adoption of indexing, all of this is because the, the whole investment value chain is trying to be, is going to be, is will be squeezed down platform, MPS and underlying funds to about 75 base points in our view. So that's going to drive huge consolidation um, and also huge competition where agility and technology and flexibility are key. And I think in that, in terms of who wins and loses in that game, um, we think platform providers are actually quite a weak position because they are just um, part of the plumbing. They're just a facility, they're a utility. Uh, they don't particularly, they, they, some do a very good job, some do a mediocre job, some do a bad job, but at the end of the day, they're just utility. Um, we think the competition within the funds industry is self-evident. You know, the, the battle between active funds and index funds and or lower cost active funds, that, that that's well written about, well covered. There's no need. And then finally, the, the battle and fees in the MPS solution is also something we're going to see. So I think in a way, the uh, advisors are almost, uh, they're at the top of the value chain and um, and they're beginning to realise that and beginning to adapt their portfolio solutions accordingly. Uh, and we think that's a, a positive and welcome trend. Right. Well, we are sadly running out of time. Henry and Matt, uh, thank you both very much for your comments uh, and for speaking to FT Advisors today. And thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.